Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, everyone. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Um, For those who are new, I will be speaking for approximately 30 minutes on uh, step uh, 8, 9, and 10, and then leave it up to you all for questions after that for about 30 minutes, and then we'll close the meeting and continue it for those who are in time zones where they want to ask more questions, and we extend it for another 30, 45 minutes. Uh, That way people can get to bed at a decent hour uh, and still get a complete hour meeting. Uh, Two days ago, I uh, just celebrated my 37 years of sobriety, one day at a time. Um, And this morning, I want to share with you the gift I was given. Uh, by forgetting it was my birthday two days ago. (laughs) Someone had to remind me because it's really just one day at a time. But some weeks ago or months ago, I read this beautiful concept about an oak tree that one of the acorns or the seeds of the oak tree falls to the ground and within that seed, this tiny seed is an oak tree. The oak tree is already in that seed. With the water and nutrients and dirt, it gets manifested into a giant oak tree. But it's already an oak tree in that seed. It just hasn't manifested yet as a tall oak tree. But the energy... And the potential is in that tiny seed. And so I woke up this morning from a sleep at about four in the morning with an awakening that that is the description of my true self. That my true self is not 
my form now. My true self was in that potential and energy that was already in me at the time of birth. Now, why do I bring this up? Because this workshop is not to give you the details of how to do your step work. That's up to you and your sponsors. It's to give you the big picture of why do your step work? (laughs) Why do it? Why stay sober? And it's the concept that the 12 steps take this seed that is already has the greatness, the magnificence, the God within, the energy, the power, it's already there. But the steps help remove the ego so that that which is already there can be manifested in this magnificent big giant oak tree that we all are. Just like a tree will give off oxygen, to help other tree, other balances in the in the universe. But it was all there within that seed itself. The program helps us connect to the true self, which is not what our brain tells us it is. It's the brain is merely telling us what's been programmed in it by religion, by culture, by family, by society, by etiquette, (laughs) by separate moralities. (laughs) All these things have influenced the brain, but the true self was there from the beginning. And that's what we get through these steps, a spiritual awakening. If you don't want that spiritual awakening, that's okay. It's okay if you don't want it. Doesn't make you a bad person, but it will keep you and your groups in a perpetual first three steps. Most groups in SA never get beyond the, as a group, the third step. You'll see what you speak about, what you talk about over and over. It's about the problem. People will keep bringing in their top plates about their lust, their difficulties, their problems. And we 
tend not to get as a fellowship the further down into the steps that are really keeping us sober. Since we've discussed before, the steps cannot make you sober. It can help keep you sober. Only thing that makes you sober is that for today, you are willing to go to any length to not lust today. Even though you still might lust, you are doing whatever you can not. The motivation, the intent is not to lust. So here we are at our, we talked about the eighth step the other day and going deeper into it and then the tenth step. But I want to first announce something. I got an email from Nicholas. Um, it's Nicholas has a workshop where on two consecutive Saturdays, he does the steps in detail, the first nine steps with people, actually the eighth and ninth through the ninth step. Um, he does it and he has you do the workshop, actually do certain things. Why it's important for those who would like that style is for you to see that this is not a monolithic fellowship. Nicholas's approach is magnificent and many people are drawn to that style. My approach has a different style to it. None of it's right or wrong. They're different styles for different people who need different styles. My style is much more the bigger picture and doing the steps from the book yourself with the help of your sponsor. Other very valid styles are having people do detailed work on your steps with you. Um, this is the beauty of our program. This is what separates one of the many things from religion, where we are told there is only one right way and every other way is wrong, for the most part. And if you think this is an exaggeration, then go in and look at your own. And the programming we've all been given that our way is the right way. And if you don't do it my way, hit the highway. Or you are going to not get to where you want to get. In a 12-step program, it's a spiritual program. And there are different styles for different people all of which uses the same framework of the 12 steps.
the theme today of going through a new door to do these steps, the eighth and ninth step, is a very simple statement that's said around the AA rooms. It goes, the old me, and we'll use essay terms, the old me will act out again. The old me will act out again. My sponsor would say, it's very easy, Harvey. All you have to do is change 180 degrees. <laughs> but luckily, only one degree at a time. One degree at a time. If not, if you hold on to old ideas, don't expect different results. So part of our workshop is to break through old ideas and to say one degree at a time we change because the old me will use again, will drink again, will act out again. Not an easy concept. Not easy. So when we're doing the eighth step, as we discussed real in a summary sort of way, Today, is it's really two steps? It's a 8A and an 8B to make a list of who you have harmed and then to become willing to make the amend. Now, step nine takes a different look at it. Because step nine is a step you don't want to do alone. You want to check with your sponsor what you're going to say to that person. Also, different sponsors have different approaches. Our style, for many of us, with long-term sobriety, many of us did not make amends, direct amends, to people we had sex with. It was too dangerous. Um, those are the people that fall into a different category of doing living amends, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But you want to make a list. You want to become willing. And as we said the other day, uh, you pray if you're not willing, God, let me be willing to be willing or willing to be willing to be willing to make this amend until you get a comfortable willing that you could say it 
might be 10 willings down, but to at least be able to find that spot. Once you're willing, that's the turning point. That no matter what happens, you're willing to do it. But that's not what we do. There's, there are some things where it says we don't do it if we harm other people. We don't do it if it will harm the other person. So my amend to my wife wasn't telling her all the times I masturbated and all the times I was promiscuous. It made it was for making amends for the harm I caused her through my sexual addiction or by giving her venereal diseases. But there was a point, and Roy says it beautifully, about dumping versus sharing and making an amend. Sometimes we're just making the amend to get it off of us, no matter how it's going to hurt the other person. Now, there are some amends that I needed to do that were financial, where I had stolen things, uh, where I took advantage of people, and I need to tr- needed to rectify it the best I could. There are other type of amends that I needed to do by living amends. I want to give you an example of a living amend that has to, it takes us a little into the 10th step. I had a pattern to either try to destroy people who were in higher positions than me. When I say destroy, I mean to rebel, to make problems for them. My pattern was either to rebel and make problems to them or to become totally dependent on them, to do whatever they said. So over the years, I discovered that pattern. In recovery. Now, Roy, our founder, was one of the people I rebelled against. I gave that man a very tough time for years and years. I just gave him a rough time. One day he stood up at an international conference. We were very small then. And he casually mentioned that he was thinking of no longer taking care just by himself of the um, 
of having central office in his home. And as soon as he mentioned it, I began to clap. And a few of us got up and congratulated him. But he wasn't ready to do it yet. We, I aggressively manipulated in a hostile way to him. Now, this went on for years. After enough years of recovery, I was able to write him an amends letter. But that wasn't my true amend. I had a very deep amend. I, my amend was I not only never said a, a negative word about him to anyone, but I never let myself think a negative thought about him. A true cleansing of my relationship and pattern to him. So quite often people will call me and ask me, why do you think he said this? And he said, I said, I don't, I don't even think about it. I don't comment on it. I don't think about it. That's my living amen. My living amend over the years has been much more important to me than even many of my direct amends. Now, I was a rager. I would get angry before I came in the program and verbally attack people of prominence in groups and embarrass them. And I went to those people and I made direct amends for my behavior to them. So my amends took different, different forms. I've shared this before. My uh, mother, may rest in peace, had a habit of hitting people in public at important affairs. And at one of these big family things, my daughter-in-law ran to me and said, your mother just slapped me in the face. And I was just beside myself. I was sober maybe five years or so, I don't know. And I was determined to finally tell my mother to get out of our lives that every important family occasion, she would have one of these episodes. So that morning, we were at a hotel, and I was determined to tell her to get out of our lives. And she came down for breakfast to the hotel, and I asked her to sit at a separate table, and I was going to tell her how never to come back to one of these family affairs again. And instead, out of my mouth, 
came my amends to her. All the things I did to her over the years. And I was finally free. And I never had to tell her not to come back. If my kids, my daughter-in-laws didn't like it, they'd have to deal with her on it. I cleaned my side of the street, and she no longer had the free rent in my head. See, amends are not for the other person. That's where people get so confused with the steps. We think they're codependent issues. Of, well, I got to save that other person. I got to heal that other person. No, the immense steps are to clean my side of the street, to get freedom from my wrongs, because many times people might not forgive you. And yet, as we discussed last week, it was so freeing. When I do my amend steps. It's very clear in the book, the directions, and then you consult your sponsor. Uh, I have my sponsees actually write what they're going to say and keep it very short. What they want to say to the person. And no matter what the person says back, to keep it to the script to clean out my side of of it. Now, I want to give you an example. The other day, one of my sponsees was sharing something with me. And I realized what I did to my wife in the 1970s. I had a religious experience and I forced my wife to accompany me for 10 years into a total change of life because I wanted to do this religious experience and change where we lived and what we ate and all kinds of things. And she was not happy with it. And my children weren't happy with it. But they were very, very young, so they didn't know much different. So the other day, I realized I owe my wife an amend for dragging her into this 10, 12-year period where she was so unhappy having to do the things we were doing. Now, what did I do? First thing was, I need to say it to her this afternoon. First sign, ego. 
I gotta do it now. No matter what. Once I hear that in my head, I was able to contact my sponsor, told him the situation. We talked about it, but we also talked about bringing up things that were so painful for her. Almost 50 years later, was this going to harm her? And my brain kept saying, I need to do this. But he said, Harvey, and the magic word he uses with me, sleep on it. Sleep on it. Within two days, I realized if it's appropriate, it could come up. But I don't want to have to remind her of that today and cause any of that discomfort because we no longer live that way. I have totally over the years surrendered to her concepts. And so we don't live that way today. Quite far from it. Matter of fact, about a year ago before COVID, I said to my wife, would you, why don't we go to our religious service? And she laughed and said, and spoil a good record? (laughs) We hadn't been to a religious service in years. And I was able to laugh and let it go. And as I'm saying it to you, I realize that was my living amend, not to say, no, Nancy, it's an important holiday. We need to go. I want you to go with me. No, I stayed with her at home. So amends take all these different forms that you and your sponsor will go over. Uh, But the theme is to be sure it's not going to harm the other person. Now, how do you get around not harming people, but still needing to clean your side of the street without a living amend? I was taught to make a general amend of, I, I was wrong and ask your forgiveness for the way I treated you years ago. If the person says, yes, I remember you did such and such, then I will make a specific amend again at that moment for what they bring up. But sometimes these old memories for people have been, they've been able to push it down to get relief. And you bring certain things up and it can really harm them. So it doesn't mean I don't make an amend. I just keep it a little more general and let them ask more questions. 
Now, what I'm telling you over and over again is this is just my opinion and my style. It's not a right way or a wrong way. It's the way I've done it over the years with the help of various sponsors. Over the years, I've had about, in the 37 years I've been sober, probably about five, six sponsors. I tend to keep them for long periods of time. They get to really know me. Most of them have died over the years. Uh, And then I, as much as I love them, as much as they mean to me, within a day or two, I've gotten a new sponsor. It's very important for me to never be without a sponsor because I am an ill person and can never truly trust my ego thinking. Now, to spend just a few moments on the 10th step, no big deal. The 10 steps merely your first nine steps over and over again about different issues. Now, it's hard for people sometimes to conceive of this, but I sponsor many, many long-term sober people. So when we're doing the first nine steps, It's not about lust. Lust is no longer the predominant issue. So for me, the 10th step is my working steps on my patterns or character defects. I am powerless over greed, and my life becomes unmanageable. And I do my steps on it. And make my amends accordingly. So these steps are just not for lust. Lust is the key to opening up the world of the steps for my character defects, for my fears, for my resentments. You know, in Nashville... A group of us early on, we had tremendous problems with anger and rage. And we would meet once a week after a meeting or before the meeting and do our steps on just anger and resentment as an addiction within itself. So the 10th step permits me each day to do inventories. Now, some people like to do them in detail once a year. Some people like to do them daily. Um, Some people do it every night. The 12 and 12 talks about the different type of inventories of the 10th step. If I don't move ahead, I don't stay in the same place. I'm going to go backwards. 
It's that simple. People have trouble grasping that idea. But if I'm not moving ahead, I don't stay where I am. And moving ahead means to get deeper insights. And how how do I do that? For me now, after many years, it's real easy. I feel it here. I get uncomfortable. I know something's not right. If I'm getting angry at you, if I'm getting resentful, if I'm getting jealous, what? it's never about you. But I'll get a feeling in here. That's when I sit down, do some step work or review it. But throughout the day, I am doing spot checks. Harvey, what was your intent of saying that? Do you owe that person an amend for what you said? My poor sponsees, man, I have to periodically just call him or write him and make an amend for the voice tone I used or for my becoming a life manager again instead of a sponsor, for my telling them things that they haven't asked. But that comes from my spot inventories. Why do I talk a lot about spot inventories? Because I'm not one of those people who can do it at night. I've tried time again. I have the apps. I do all that. It's not me. I fall asleep doing it. It's not me. (laughs) I can't tell you how comfortable it is to not have to compare you, my insides with your outsides, to be able to admit doing it at night before I go to bed is worthless for me. It becomes just a ritual that I end up falling asleep at. So for me, it's spot inventories. For other people, it's doing it in the evening. For other people, it's doing it quarterly. (laughs) I have one sponsee every year. He goes into deep inventory, compares himself with the year before. We've been doing it for for years. Hasn't been done this year because of the COVID. So again, this is not a cookie-cutter program. You, You have a sponsor, but you also have a big book. That's another form of sponsor. And read it, study it, see what it says. If you don't grasp it, don't be embarrassed. Ask your sponsor. If he doesn't quite get it, call his sponsor with him. This is a one day at a time program. 
You can't mess this program up. It's a spiritual program. You can't screw it up. You will learn from your mistakes. How do I, how could I say that? Because that's what Roy says in the crucible of our experience. How do you know you're not actively lusting that you're getting better? How do you know? I'll tell you how I know. Out of nowhere, some crazy thought hits me. Out of nowhere, someone will show up in my shower with me. Out of nowhere. And then I'm able to say, wow, Harvey, this hasn't happened in a year, I bet. Wow. See, the way we know we're getting better is certain things happen. Like when I have leg pain, I know it's there. When it's gone, I don't know it's there. It's gone. Yes, it's gone. <laughs> it's when it comes back again, I could say, oh, you're not a bad person that it came back again. But you're a fortunate person. It hasn't been there for weeks. Now, again, and I'll close with this. This is about intent. So much of our program is about intent. If my intent is to go into the shower and try to remember a person in my life, no, that's my active lust. If I'm in the shower and some photograph shows up, no, that's just a disease. It wasn't my intent. And that's what Jess would say over and over again. The first thought is on God. That's how he made me. It's the second thought that's on me. What do I do with it? Or did I purposely bring it in? What is my intent? So a great deal about lust is my intent. Same thing about eighth and ninth step. Sometimes we're not purposely trying to hurt people. My sponsor taught me to ask myself, were you trying to hurt that person purposefully? And if I said no, then he'd say, well, Harvey, that's called a mistake. And merely say, excuse me, God, I made a mistake. Help me not do it again. Excuse me, God, I made a mistake. Help me not do it again. Okay, let's leave some time for some questions. End in about 15, 20 minutes and then continue for those who have further questions. Um, the first question that came in, Harvey, was ab about what you were talking um, before about making amends to someone that you had sex with. The person asks, what if the person that you had sex with is an ex-girlfriend that you've really hurt and do truly owe her an amends? 
It's up to you and your sponsor. And if you hang around a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a hangover, uh, haircut. If you hang around a barbershop long enough, you will eventually get a haircut. You hang around too many of your ex-sex partners, good chance you're going to have sex. My sponsor had a tough time with me on this concept. He called it false politeness. False politeness. Ex-sex partners are dangerous for me. I'm a sex addict. It's like saying, how do I make amends to the pornography I watched? Should you turn on the pornography and say, oh, TV, uh, computer screen, I'm making amends for abusing all these people. You stay the hell away from them. And let me tell you, before worrying about your sexual amends to these ex-girlfriends, I'd examine all the amends you owe to people from the wreckage of your past for other things, like my wreckage is my past. Our men's list is not only sexual amends. Okay, next question. Jason? I'd like to ask a question. Okay. How many here have been able, this, I'm willing to learn, how many here have been able to successfully make amends to many of the sex partners you've had in the past. How has it turned out? If you want to raise your hand and answer that, should we let someone answer that? Yeah. Go ahead, Yitzi. Hi, my name is Yitzi. I'm a sexaholic. So I made amends to a guy that I uh, that I acted out with, and um, he came into SA, and he was there for about a year and change, and then he left, but he may be back. I know that I did my part in that. Okay. I knew from, based on our interaction when we acted out, that he was so disgusted with himself. I was already in the program, but I wasn't able to stop. But once I saw the disgust in his face, I knew that I wasn't, interested in acting out with him again and I shared with him some stuff and he was interested in more so um, I gave him information and he ended up in an essay meeting I've made a couple of those kind of events anyone else uh, Gabrielle yeah uh, Gabriele sexaholic um, I made uh, which was a miracle 
uh, amends to my qualifier who brought me first to Essanon and then uh, it developed that I uh, wound up in SA. And but he he approached me. He wrote me a, a letter, and I took the letter as if I have a poisoned snail in my hand. But at the time, I was in the beginning of my first recovery in SA, and I had enough support. It was a written paper letter a long time ago, and I wrote a letter back. He was in another city, and he was in a very difficult situation. And I truly made amends for I had um, broken, I had uh, damaged property. And I made amends and I offered money and... Uh, to make a long story, story short, I did make amends and I was free and we ended up in France. I never saw him again. It was all through letter. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, before we continue, the, the person who asked the question wanted to clarify that uh, he wasn't just speaking about a mere sex partner. This was a very serious girlfriend. He was in love with her um, and they were in love with him. And it was, you know... This was, this was a long-term relationship that he hurt her. And, you know, that was really the question about that, about going back to this old relationship and making amends to her. And again, like you said, it's about the sponsor as well, and it's about the situation. If, he, if, he's, if he's now married, it might not be, you know, respectful to his current wife to go and speak to his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. I don't know. So you could see there are different approaches I'm just too sick <laughs> in my early years to have done that. So, I've had to do it with people, but in a general way, when they showed back up in my life, like I shared last week with my cousin and with someone who I bumped into after about 25 years of sobriety. Um, so, it's going to depend on you and your sponsor. You want to hear some more stories? No, let's go to the next question. Okay, so go ahead, Jason. And if you were going to speak about uh, men's to ex-partners, you can lower your hand now. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah. All right, I'm unmuted now, yes? All right. Yeah. First off, I just want to thank you, Harvey for doing this, Daniel, for your service here, anyone else that was foundational in getting this going, it's wonderful. Um, my question is, Harvey, is there a difference or what is your understanding of a difference between living amends and practices, principles in all our affairs? Or are they the same? I, you know, the living amends to me is a little bit of a foreign concept uh, concept in terms of I don't see it in the big book or the 12 and 12. Um, and I don't know whether it's just a made up idea or whether it's something real. I've always just put it in the terms of just live my life differently than I've been living it and let it be that. But you have any thoughts on that? Not particularly because a living amend is what it ultimately all comes down to. Amends are very easy, even though they're difficult to make. They're very easy. My sponsor helped me a great deal with that concept 
that he wouldn't let me say I'm sorry to anyone. He'd say everyone knew you were sorry, son of a gun. So saying I'm sorry has happened time and time again for people in this program or to make amends. I was wrong for giving you venereal diseases again. You know, I kept giving my wife venereal diseases. Make amend, I cry, I'll never do it again, this and that. Words come very easy. But we have a chapter in the book that says, into action. So it's like saying, I'm not going to drink again. I make an amend for drinking, and then you end up having another drink. The living amend is going to any length that day, not to take a drink, not to lust. My living amend. There is no way my wife knows it. But I do not purposefully lust today. I'd rather die than go back to the way I used to be in my head. So is it safe to say that amends ultimately is about mending my ways? And, yeah. and, stay, and staying, staying to that. Actually, the word amend, mm-hmm. is from, we use the term for our American Constitution, where we say an amendment. An amendment means to change. Mm-hmm. An amend is a change, not words. So we don't just change the words of the concept. Talk about it. It has to go through a process where there is an actual change. Mm. An amendment. And I don't know how that word is used in other languages. But Mm. in English, it's a definite connotation of change. 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 That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, and Joseph. I did not change. I can't. That's ego. I'm not going to do that again. That's <laughs> ego. That's control. So what do I do? I do this process, this journey, these 12 steps. That and eat away at that ego. The words mm. easier and ultimately, and next week is going to be our week of really going into what Malcolm and had discussed with us for four weeks and other things. The being able to be mindful of what's going on in our brain. This we can't have any kind of change without mindfulness. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, there are some writings 
that say that's all we have to do is observe rather than participate, and it tends to go away on its own. Oh, there's my greed again. Instead of judging it, just to be mindful of it. Oh, there's my jealousy again. There's my envy. The more I'm mindful of my patterns and my character defects, somehow it loses its power. It's one of those paradoxes. If I say I'm never going to be jealous again, within a minute or two, you're going to be jealous. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> Thank you, Harvey. Appreciate it. Sure. Appreciate you. Yeah. Okay, it's time to close. And uh, next week we will do the 11th step. And the new door is do not expect much about prayer. You've been taught about prayer since you could almost, you, you opened your eyes almost. You don't need me giving you talks on prayer. You could teach me. So doing the different door is we're going to be dealing with the other half. Improving our conscious contact by learning to listen. We're so busy talking to God, we can't hear him. Hear it. Can't hear it. We are so programmed to talking rather than hearing. We will talk about a few prayers, but the major prayer will be, may thy will be done, not my will. What greater prayer can you say? But the ego is not going to let that happen. <laughs> so the, the next question, um, unfortunately, the person left. Uh, it's an interesting question. If I don't have any shame about my addiction because I'm a sick person, not a bad person, why do I need to make amends about things which my addiction hurts other people? Well, would you not make an amend if you had diabetes and something happened while you were fainting and you fell on someone and you would say, um, I'd make an amend if I hurt you in any way? and ask your forgiveness. Naturally, I didn't do it on purpose. But I ask your forgiveness. But I like that question. I think it has validity to it. Yeah, don't do anything. Don't make amends. You don't have to do any of the steps. You're not responsible. You have a disease. You're not responsible. 
Does that feel better? I learned this very, very interesting term. A weaponized question. I had never heard that expression before until last week. A weaponized question. We tend to ask questions that are weaponized. The question really says, I don't believe this crap. Prove it to me. No way will I ever prove this to you. You got to prove it to yourself. It's interesting. I'm reading this book about happiness and it just says, do not take anything anyone says as truth until you try it and see if it works. What's the book called? Happiness is Free. So we need to try it. You might like it. But no, I can't prove. And it's a valid question. Okay, the next question is um, uh, from Greg in Budapest. He asks, my wife has lots of resentments towards me. Would you do an amends over and over? Our marriage is difficult, and I had the idea today to ask her what amends she would like me to take. Do you think that's a good idea? I get uncomfortable with these couple questions. Yes, they're very important. But I get uncomfortable because so often it's not really about the addiction. It's about communication in a marriage. There are some men and women you'll never satisfy. It won't matter how many amends you make. Happens with a lot of times in the program where people, the wives say, tell me everything, tell me everything. And then when you tell them, they get angry at you. Well, I don't believe you're telling me everything. Don't forget what my sponsor would say to me. Harvey, who but a sick woman would have lived with you all those years? There's sickness in our families. So all we could do is get help for ourselves, be an example of a spiritual life, And then you hope for the best. You know, I've seen so many things. I've seen men in this program get a beautiful sobriety and their wives couldn't handle them, be sober and divorced them. They broke the dance. The dance changed. It was too much for the partner. 
So I've learned I can't figure this out. All I know is you clean up your side of the street and the rest is up to the higher power, whatever that is, your life. But you're never going to change your partner. And if you think you can, that's the ego and the active disease working. That you're God, you could change someone else. I can't even change myself. How am I going to change someone else? Thank you. Uh, you know, you, uh, our addiction to sex uh, is the result of our aller- body allergy and imbalances of ho- hormones in our brain. So uh, why it is called character defect uh, when we have no part in it? Uh, in, in, in when we want to uh, find out our uh, part uh, in it, actually we have no part in it. Uh, and a, a speaker in Iran was uh, saying that we are working uh, 12 steps to uh, turn our t- character defects to normal instincts. Uh, but uh, when uh, we are addicted to alcohol or sex, it cannot be returned back uh, because uh, in any time we get back, we get allergy and it starts over. Uh, is it true that we can take character defects to normal instincts that they were before. And what is our part in character defects that are the result of hormone imbalance in the mind? It wasn't coming in very clear. Um... I am able to drink orange juice, tomato juice, water, soda pop, but I cannot drink alcohol successfully. Okay? I'm allergic to alcohol. That's simple. It doesn't mean my natural instinct of drinking has to stop. Just drinking alcohol has to stop. There are all kinds of other things I could drink that's not alcohol. So just because I have an allergy, it doesn't mean my natural instincts can't be normal, but not for that product. Okay? Now, why is this concept important that Roy introduced? Roy introduced the concept of lust, not sex. He said we were powerless over lusting. So people can try, but if you're allergic to lust, you're allergic to lust. It doesn't mean you're allergic to your natural instinct. So what does that mean 
I can't talk for women now, but I could talk for men. When men go into REM sleep, they get an arousal in their private area. Blood goes in there and it gets aroused. Now, that's a natural thing that happens. That doesn't mean that when it happens, you have to do anything about it. That would be where the allergy to lust comes in. You would get up and go to the bathroom, make it simple. But once I'm allergic to something, I'm allergic to it. My wife, let's say, is allergic to penicillin, which she is. But she it doesn't mean she can't have any antibiotic, just not penicillin. So to our own self be true. Am I allergic or aren't I allergic? If you're allergic, you're not going to be able to do it successfully. You could do it, but not successfully. Okay, we have a lot of questions that came in on tonight's topic, so I'll uh, jump in there. And, and, and you'd see, do you want to explain your question a little clearer? Yes, thanks. I'll just quickly explain my question. I was asking about the amends that you mentioned that you made to your wife more recently when you realized that you pushed her in that way. Um, meaning because when I make direct amends, um, I was taught that one of the things I ask, is there any other harm that I caused you that I may not know about? And that doesn't negate me from other harms. I'm just wondering if you incorporate that. And if so, after living so many years sober with your wife, is it just like what would be the point of bringing it up if she didn't remember it? That, that would also be a question. I did not bring it up yet. I did not make the amend. Oh, I, I guess I misunderstood. Yeah, I did not make the amend. I said if she serendipitously brings it up, if it ever comes up, I will then make the amend. But I decided not to make the amend. And they helped my sponsor help clarify it, that it might just harm her, bringing up that difficult period in our lives for her. Okay, but thanks. we haven't lived that way for 20, 25 years. Okay, I got it. Thanks. Okay. Um, next question. During our amends, are we asking for forgiveness as well, or are we just saying that we were wrong and sorry for our actions and harm that we did? I ask for forgiveness. People have so many different ways of doing it. And I think Yitz brought up a good one. Some people say, is there anything else you'd like for me to do? Um, there are so many different magical words to this formula and I think it's what you get used to doing uh, my kids will say to me when I start making an amend dad you always make amends forget it just forget it they don't want that any of the formula 
you do the best you can. And, um, you know, a lot of my amends today was about my style, not my content. The tone of voice I use, the aggressiveness I'll put out. A lot of times my content is right, but my style, I need to make an amend for the way I come across. Okay, the next question. I've met a lot of people. I have a lot of people that I met in parks through the internet. I have no clear memory of them. I agreed with my sponsor to create a group for these unknown contacts and pray for them. Do you have any experience with that and how did you handle it? The way I handled it was my office for my first 20 years was next to the park I used to act down in. For 20 years, I, if I had to walk to my office, I walked a long way around the park, never through the park. So my amends was to stay the hell away from that park. That way I was not endangering me and I wasn't endangering anyone else. It's just my way. You know, there's an amend we haven't spoken about, the amends to ourselves. How do we make amends to ourselves? about what the disease did to us. That's a whole different ball game right there. And um, my amends will be different than other people's amends. But my clue is from the promises. We will not regret the past or shut the door on it. So my amends to me is knowing that God doesn't make crap and that I'm a good and worthwhile human being worthy of recovery today. And so I need to continually remind myself that I am a good and worthwhile human being worthy of recovery today. And that. I do not have to act out today. By the way, I don't like the term acting out. I'd rather say acting in, because that's where we self-abuse again, by going back into lust, into the fantasy world. Pure torture.
So true. Next question. Concerning financial amends, if I owe some money to big corporations, is it okay to give it to a charity organization instead of bothering the people at the corporation with me asking for amends? Yeah, my sponsor really helped me with that one. He said, if you send to a big corporation and money or a check, a lot of times the person receiving it will rip it up. This it will complicate things too much. Where do they put it? Where do they send it? So he t- basically told me to give the money to a charity or something. Um, this once happened to me in recovery. I got an overpayment from some big, big corporation that was, and I said, I'm sending the check back. And he said, they're going to toss it, Harvey. Go give it to charity. You don't know, no one will know what had happened, what happened. And where to send it back. At least that was his opinion. Now, if you notice when I say that was his opinion, I need to ask a question and then surrender to what my sponsor tells me. That's my also living amend. Not to go shopping for opinions. That's my ego acting out again. And if my sponsor isn't available, I call one of my sponsees and I ask them what to do. And I do whatever they tell me. Just so I'm not making the decision myself and I'm surrendering. Related to that, my sponsor says not to make amends to people who are not sure whether you hurt or not. Also, not to make amends to people who are doing their job, example, for example, being a call center staff. That's their job, you know, putting the phone down or someone calling you up, cold calling. How do you define who you need to make amends to other than immediate family? That's between you and your sponsor with your eighth step. You try to write everyone down you think you need an amend to or, you know, without making thousands, that's your ego. (laughs) You put too, too many names, but write down who you think you should make amends to. And then you and your sponsor go over that list and he'll help you make living amends, etc. You know, going back to... Yitz's question, which was an important question. Many people in the program have gone to topless bars and uh, prostitutes. I don't advise going back to your prostitute to make an amend. You could end up acting out. And Yitz's story, which is a a good one, is he knew the person, it was a kind of relaxed situation, 
um, I had a terrible experience. I've shared it with you all. I exhibited myself while drunk in college to a roommate at the time. And um, I sobered up, what, 40 years later. I figured I'd never track him down. I tracked him down. And he was so happy to hear from me. And then I made the amend. And it was not a comfortable thing. You could hear he got uncomfortable. He had forgotten it. And when I told my sponsor this, it didn't feel right after I did it. He really kind of all but yelled at me and said, don't make amends without checking me first. So Yitz has worked out well, thank goodness, and I could see why he he wanted to do it or did it. Uh, Mine did not work out well. Yes, I harmed the person. Again, don't cookie cut this program. What works for Harvey was based on the crucible of his experience. What works for you will be based on the crucible of your experience and your sponsor's experience. There is only one step we need to do absolutely. Everything else is a learning experience. And that's the first step. You're either powerless or you're not powerless over lust. You cannot be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You can't be a little addicted to powerless to lust, you either are or you're not. And if I'm powerless to lust, I need to surrender and work with my sponsor on any iffy areas. Now, I had sex with so many people that over the years, they showed up at SA meetings. Over the years, I'd see them at AA meetings. I needed to get a system to deal with it. How to deal with it. Each of us makes their own way they're going to deal with it. My way was to be polite, but not initiate conversation. All right, glad you're here. Move, move on. Again, not a right way or a wrong way. This was the way I needed to deal with it. With the help of my sponsors. Okay, next question. My wife always floods us, uh, the relationship with the problems of the past and how I hurt her, even though I've already changed my behavior. And when I ask her why she does this, she doesn't have an answer. 
is it incumbent on me each time to make an amends every time that she brings it up? Because on the other hand, it really hurts me why she doesn't consider the change and why she's not seeing it. There's a good chance she's not seeing it because you're not changing. You're, this is a part of the big, in the essay book, we ignore where it says the dependency addictions we have, especially with wives. No, it's real simple. Honey, I love you. I care about you. But every time you bring this subject up, I will walk into the next room. Period. But so often underneath all this is the lust addiction. That if I tell my wife something like that, she won't have sex with me. She'll get angry at me, won't have sex. So often, so much behavior between husband and wife in the program is because one of the partners thinks if they're honest and straightforward, they won't get sex from their partner, from their wife or husband. That's a significant part of the 10th step. Is lust or sex still driving, motivating what you do or what you don't do? That was a big problem in my recovery. And that's why we ultimately made a system where there was no guessing and it was done the same once a week at the same time. (laughs) So no ulterior motives could come in. And that's another story about sex and marriage. Next question. Uh, well, Sona wanted the second part of her question answered if, because the, she didn't get it fully explained. And she was saying that she thinks that addiction to sex or any other addiction is, is a result of a disturbance of hormones. So why, why would we call it a character defect if we have no part in it? Isn't it better to call them problems that we have? I don't call it a character defect. I call it an addiction with lust and sex. If it were a character defect, you could take care of it in another 12-step program. If lust and sex is not a primary addiction, then it could be taken care of as a character defect Because that's what the big book deals with. The big book deals with, in chapter five, resentment, fear, and sex. Now, I was in AA for seven months, and I was trying to deal with it as a character defect, but it didn't work. 
I was still acting out. I needed it another program, just like eating disorders. Gluttony is one of the seven characteristics. I mean, seven uh, sins, gluttony. Many people have it. Let's say if you're alcoholic, you can deal with it as a character defect. But if you have an eating disorder, it won't work as a character defect. You need OA. It's because AA, it, that's not its primary purpose. It's about alcohol, not about eating disorders. So, no, I wouldn't be an essay if lust or sex was a character defect. It's a primary broken part of my brain. So we have no more questions that have come up. Uh, we, do, we do have someone that wanted to give an anecdote on an amends they made, if you want to hear it. To do what? To give an anecdote on an amends that they made in the past. Okay, if they'd like. Okay, go ahead, Jason. First off, I want to say that... Um, what has been questioned and asked here today has helped me more than, than, than you could know. I really appreciate it, uh, especially that last share. Um, yeah, just this is humorous, and it, it may spark some uh, discussion on your part, Harvey, too. I made uh, amends to my children several years ago, and I think they were teenagers at the time. And when I made the amends to my daughter, her eyes lit up. They were just glowing. And she said, thank you. And it was so beautiful. I thought, oh, amends is wonderful. So then I go and make the amends to my son. My, he's a little bit older than her. He has a very different response. He says, well, I know that you're doing this stuff because this is what you're supposed to do. And that's fine and everything. He goes, but do you really mean any of this? <laughs> it was like, oh, man, I, I felt Honestly, I felt busted. I was painting by the numbers. And uh, that was a game changer for me. So thought I'd share that. And if you had any comments on, on the experience with that, it'd be great. But other than that, I just want to share it. Thanks. Yeah. I have four sons. I have four sons. And... Um, just one second, please. One of them wants to hear nothing about my program. Nothing. One son's always asking. Another son is, you know, in between. Uh, another son um, came to little conferences with us. He's not a sex addict, and he wants to meet Roy. He was a lawyer, and he helped SA in Nashville get out of a little situation. And he he came to a conference, so 
just different strokes for different folks. So we do have one question that came in now, Harvey. Uh, Alex, if you'd like to unmute, you can go ahead and ask. Yeah, it's it's not on the uh, topic, which is why I didn't put up my hand earlier. But I was curious um, if there was any way, Harvey, I, I've looked for it, but I can't find the, I assume that it's probably not publicly available, but the story of the children of the crystals and the children of the um, gems that you wrote, whether that's something that's able to be purchased somewhere. No. No, I didn't think so. It's more of a, you wrote it and gave it to your family type thing and friends. All right. Can we hear the story, Harvey? This is, I've heard pretty much all of Harvey's stories. And you've brought up something I haven't heard about, Alex. Only if it's relevant. You don't have to, Harvey. Yes, it's a very important story. It's a change in my life. I was sober about seven years. And a son who was very angry at me because I pushed him into a marriage of a woman our own religion. And the marriage didn't work out. And he later got involved with a woman of a different religion. And it was extremely uh, painful for me. And I was sober, I don't know, about seven, eight years. I went into a severe depression. And I just didn't know where to turn. If I let go of my belief, I felt I would break. And if I went along with, if I would go along with it, I felt I'd break. If I didn't go along with it, I feel I was a failure in AA and SA to be biased about religion. And I was beside myself, and I was up in Colorado at the time, and I finally called Roy, the founder of the fellowship. And I told him the pain I was going through. And all of a sudden, he said, Harvey, I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm going through the same thing. My son is not marrying an Armenian. Roy was Armenian. My son's not marrying an Armenian. And when he said that, I had told him my stuff. All of a sudden, we started to laugh. We started to laugh. And the spell was broken. I knew love and tolerance was my only code. And so when my first grandson was born from that marriage, I decided to write a children's book. And I called it The Land of the Crystals and the Land of the Jewels. And both lands were separated by a river. 
and the people who lived in the land of jewels would say, never cross the river. This, if you went too close to the jewels, it would cut you. They were sharp. They would cut you. And the people in the land of crystals would tell their children, don't ever go to the land of crystals because the light is so bright reflecting off the crystals that it could blind you. And years later, the prince from the land of crystals was in a rowboat in the river. And the princess from the land of jewels was there, but she was drowning. And he saved her. She came into the boat. And at that moment, they knew they were meant for each other. And the rest of the story is about how they, how the family, how the two nations got together. I won't give you the conclusion this point. But ultimately, they built an island between connected by jewel and crystal bridges, and they both sides got to see they didn't get cut, and they didn't get blinded. Now, Alex, how did you hear about that? I I heard about it on one of the conferences, international conferences, tapes, I don't know, uh, probably back in the early 2000s, that you were having a mind block, uh, Not sorry, not a mind block, you had trouble putting things on paper, but at one time you just started talking about it to your wife and it just all came out because, of course, you're dyslexic and have trouble putting things on paper. Um, and, and my wife isn't Christian and that uh, she's not a different faith either, but it's sometimes complicated, like feels awkward to pray at the table, for example, with my son. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's smoother, but, but, uh, I think more than more that more than the personal interest was just like Harvey wrote a book. And I could buy it. I would definitely want to own that book. Me too. I want to just add that this issue is more than just about religion. Because my wife and I have the same religion, but on Thanksgiving. In America, it's a big holiday. On Thanksgiving, her family had Thanksgiving dinner at 5 o'clock. And in my home being brought up, we had Thanksgiving dinner at two in the afternoon. It's an afternoon feast. And what tension was in our early years of marriage of what time we should have the service, have our Thanksgiving dinner. So these concepts 
of differences come up no matter what. And yet, in this program, it all vanishes. All vanishes. This is a spiritual program. And someone wrote me today, thank, uh, wishing me well for my birthday. And they wrote, I'm so glad our, cross, our paths crossed. And we come from very different backgrounds. Our paths crossed. And I said to, wrote back, at that crossing where we crossed, we are one. That intersection, we are one. And that is our 12-step program, the tradition of unity, one. And that's why I keep coming back to this concept of not my way or their way. They're just differences, but ultimately, we're one unit in our recovery program because we're all trying to stay sober one day at a time. What a common denominator. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.